Welcome to the Golf Exposed Podcast. It is non-stop trash stuff. I'm supposed to be pros here. I would be barefooted, drunk, playing golf. Golf Exposed Podcast. But it wasn't talked about like it is now. We got our kick. Where we give you the good, the bad, and the truth about golf business, betting, and stories. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Exposed Podcast. My name is Jordan Michael Colson. And John, today we have a graduate of Lehigh University with a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering. I don't think we've had one of those on the show yet. He then went on to earn his PhD at the Wharfton School in Decision Sciences. He became an assistant professor at MIT, the VP of strategy at IBM, co-chair of the Philadelphia Orchestra and Kimmel Center, and a myriad of other accomplishments and titles in between. He has the culture, the experience, and the degrees and brain power to make Steve Jobs look like a hobo. (laughs) And now, the co-CEO of Golf Genius for 13 years, Mr. Michael Ziesman, ladies and gentlemen. He's been called the father of modern email. He's the pride of Pittsburgh, the boy wonder of Wayne P.A., and he joins us on the Golf Exposed podcast. Mr. Mike Ziesman, give him a round of applause, everybody. My pleasure. You know, of all, I appreciate uh, your setting all my accomplishments. I, I wish you could include in that a great golfer, but, but I'm not. I'm a very passionate golfer, as I say, not to be confused with a good golfer. So, Mike, chemical engineering for decision sciences only really one place to go following those accolades. The obvious transition is to wind up in the world of golf technology. So right. how does that happen? Uh, well, like most entrepreneurs, you know, you, you face a problem and you say, hey, I think I can solve that problem. So I, I do have a very, very technical background. Love the technology. I, I wrote my first line of code in 1967 as a sophomore at Lehigh. And I view ground zero of the industry as 1964 when IBM introduced the system 360 and we really saw commercial computing take off. So, I, you know, I was, I was kind of there near the beginning and I love it. I love the technology. Um, I still work with our technical teams. But, you know, I had, I had a career in enterprise software and uh, uh, ended up at IBM through two acquisitions, stayed there for a while and left. And uh, I was the guy who was always organizing the annual buddy golf trip. Um, you know, 8, 12, 16 guys go off, uh, you know, play five, four, five, six, seven rounds of golf. And uh, inevitably at the end of a trip, uh, John would complain that he played with Harry three times and doesn't like Harry and never played with Sam, who he likes and didn't realize that dinner was at uh, seven o'clock instead of eight o'clock. And I lived with this for a few years and said, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. And, and I have a background in, in scheduling, scheduling systems, decided to, uh, to write a scheduling program to place golfers into foursomes and buddy golf trips so everyone would play with everyone else about the same number of time. And that's how it got started. You know, realized that that was really not a product. You needed tournament processing. You needed accounting. You needed photography. And so we built a product for golf trips. In fact, the original name of the company was GolfTripGenius.com. Turned out to be a small market. It evolved from there to servicing leagues. And from there to, you know, addressing clubs, both private clubs, public courses and resorts. And, and, and that led into handicapping. And here we are today. So since 2009, you've been the co-CEO of Golf Genius Software. And in broad terms, 
Golf Genius Software offers affordable, fully featured cloud-based software for organizing and managing golf events, leagues, and trips. So, John, how did you first catch wind of everything that Golf Genius was doing? How did you come across it, and what were your initial impressions? Well, at this point, Golf Genius infiltrated the market in a positive way. And I think, how many clubs are you working with now, Mike? 10,000 plus? A little over 10,000 in 62 countries. That's right. Yeah. So obviously a huge footprint. I think most golf professionals, PGA members are, are very aware of Golf Genius and uh, the innovation as it relates, especially to the tournament platform, which definitely created a solution for many golf professionals when they were having unique events at their golf courses. But Mike, from your perspective, if you're talking to a golf course owner who maybe doesn't know what Golf Genius is, how do you quickly explain the benefits of, of your platform? That's a good question. The way we think about it is this. We employ 64 PGA professionals in the company. We also have almost 100 people in, in the software development. So within the golf software industry, we probably spend more on development than almost anybody. And when you think about that PGA professional who's employed by a, a golf course owner or operator, they spend most, almost all their time doing three things, right? They, they manage tournaments, they manage a golf shop, and they do teaching and coaching. And our goal is to provide software to assist with all three of those. So, our, you know, we're, we're most well known for tournament management, particularly in, you know, private clubs, public facilities and resorts. But we also, as, as you know, we also have relationships with many of the national federations. So we do all the USGA championships and the PGA of America championships and the England golf and the Legends Tour over there, et cetera, et cetera. We have a great deal of experience working with very complex tournament systems, uh, as, as well as the 10,000 clubs that we do. But we also have a product called Golf Shop. It's gained a lot of traction that takes care of a lot of the things in a golf shop. And um, I'm very, very excited that uh, very shortly we'll, we'll be releasing our first entry into the golf teaching and coaching space, uh, which is something I'm very passionate about. You know, it's, it's, if you look at the statistics, the golf industry doesn't have, have a problem attracting golfers. It has a problem retaining golfers. About 3 million golfers leave the, leave the, the game every year. Now, some of that is due to people aging out and dying. But a lot of it is people get frustrated. And as you know, that first year is really hard. You know, you hit a ball, it slices off into the woods, you hit the next one, you top it, uh, putts that look easy, you miss. And so if you take that fact and, and say, say, okay, it's called retention, right? Just like in, my so in a software business, like you got to retain your customers. We don't do a very good job of retaining golfers. Then you say, well, how many golfers have ever taken a golf lesson? And I've never, no one has really reliable data on that. But most people would agree, the vast majority of golfers have never taken a golf lesson. So is it surprising then that they get out there and hack away and get frustrated and leave the game? No, I think you connect those dots pretty easily. I also think we need to move this from teaching to coaching, you know, more from fee for service. You know, I, I just had a horrible day in the bunkers. I'm going to get a bunker lesson. You know, here's, here's your hourly rate to coaching where, where, where the coach knows more about what's going on in my golf game and is assisting me. So, you know, really, really excited to be entering this coaching space. I mean, we obviously continue to do an enormous amount of tournament management. We're starting to work with the major suppliers into golf shops to do better integration with them. We think in, in golf shops, 
they're small. The average, the average revenue of a golf shop is about four, three to four hundred thousand dollars a year. So they can't investigate, invest in sophisticated uh, merchandise planning or assortment planning software. But working with all of them that we do, we think we can really add some value there. So I think about it as some golf professionals do three things, and we want to help them do all three. As you know, Mike, the, the industry in golf is a bit behind some of the other industries when it comes to technology, the hospitality industry, obviously the airline industry, hotel industry, you know, there's many more advances in technology in some of those industries. How is that factored in with Golf Genius and, and trying to grow your platform, which you've yep. obviously done successfully. So you've navigated that because, yep. you know, from my experience, obviously bringing tech products to the golf space, it's a bit of a challenge sometimes. Yep. Yep. That's a great question. In fact, I was just having a discussion with someone the other day because, uh, as I said, I come from an enterprise software industry where, where companies understand the term coopetition, which means we compete, but we also have to, to cooperate to grow the market. So you mentioned airlines. You know, imagine if you had to book a flight on airline A from Philadelphia to Charlotte, retrieve your luggage book another ticket on another airline from Charlotte to LA, recheck your luggage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? It, it would be a very unpleasant experience. So hey, I go to American Airlines and I, they're gonna give me one ticket that goes on, on, on say their airline and then another airline, I check the luggage straight through, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So these airlines are all interconnected in real time. Banking, obviously the same way, right? There's one way that banks move money around. There's one way their credit cards interface with things like QuickBooks. And so those industries have learned that you have to develop standards for data interchange to improve the customer experience and grow the industry. And, and my view, and some people call me naive, I don't think, maybe I am, is that, is that if we all work together to improve the customer experience, we will all be better off. Now, I would say the one place the golf industry is behind is in developing standards for systems to interact. Now, we accomplished a lot with the World Handicap System. Hats off to the USGA and the RNA. I never would have thought they got that done, but they were able to get six different, very different handicapping systems and national federations that come together. We now have APIs to connect these different systems that we were deeply involved in. But if you look at, say, an emerging category like launch monitors, I think that launch monitors are going to be like range finders. People have their own personal launch monitor and, and you have products at the high end track man for 25,000, GC quads for 16,000, others at the 4,000 level, and then, you know, personal launch monitors 500 and below. They all do the same thing, right? I mean, you swing a club, they know what club, they know what club you hit and they collect a variable amount of data. You would think that we could have one standard by which all these systems would emit their data. Uh, and we've not made much progress on that. Uh, some of them are uh, very open and saying, look, it's the customer's data. If the customer wants me to share that data with Golf Genius, well, of course I will. And others are very, very proprietary uh, and say, look, we don't, we don't cooperate with anybody. We don't, you know, this is our market. And I, I've seen this in other industries and I have no doubt that, you know, over time companies will start working together. I would say on the other hand, when you look at golf clubs, I would have to say by clubs, I mean, private public resort, I can't complain about the rate of adoption. I mean, we're in 10,000 golf clubs. Most of them are using our live scoring. So 
and, and we're over 50% penetrated in private clubs in the US. It's about 3,500 private clubs and we're in about 1,900 of them with our premium product doing live scoring. Almost all of them have our basic product. So you have to step back and say, look, we, live scoring came to the industry five or six years ago, five years ago. It's been fairly widely adopted. So I think contrary to what some people believe, the golf professionals and the owners and the operators have, have really been pretty good at adopting technology. It, it's some of the manufacturers and suppliers that, that have work to do. I would say this, however, I belong to Marion Golf Club. I was on the board, I was chair of the finance committee, treasurer. We don't have an IT function at Marion Golf Club. You know, we don't have IT professionals. We don't have people you know, worrying about security and, and networking and things like that. And so the, the way by which we evaluate software in the golf industry is not as mature in other industries where they look at what's simply called total cost of ownership, TCO. They realize the, what you pay for the software is a minor part of the total cost of delivering the service. It's all about the people. So my view is if, if in using Golf Genius software, if we can make the people at a golf club, which is our users are mainly assistant professionals, if we can make them more productive, it's a win-win situation. In other industries, you would be very precise in measuring the total cost of ownership. I think if you took a survey among, you know, most PGA professionals, they this isn't a criticism, it's just a statement. They, they wouldn't be familiar with concepts like total cost of ownership. They're more, the good news is they're more driven by, hey, look, if this will improve the member experience. This is something we want to do, which is great. I would say most owners and operators are focused on, you know, delivering a, a good customer experience on the golf course as a way to keep people coming back. I urge everyone to visit golfgenius.com, find out more about all the great things that they're doing, all their advances in technology. Mike, in getting to know you a little bit better, you are a Pittsburgh native, a town that is known for working with your hands, the grinded out attitude, but where does your entrepreneurial spirit and your sense of intuition come from? Being from a city like that, we all know you have the work ethic, but it's not exactly a beacon of technology. So when did you realize that you had this unique skill set? Well, I think I was, uh, I grew up in a, a very lower middle class neighborhood. You know, I had a wonderful childhood. But, you know, at an, early, I was saying, at an early age, I was selling everything. You know, I was selling vegetable seeds. I was selling flower seeds. I was selling Christmas cards. I was selling uh, magazine subscriptions. I, I delivered, delivered the newspaper, which sadly kids can't do today, right? But think about how many kids had paper routes. You're in business, right? And so I guess I, I, I learned early on that, that I had a very strong work ethic. And, you know, what, what I love doing quite honestly, in a company like Golf Genius is, is hiring great people and, and, and letting them go. I often, I often say in, in, in our company, I say, look, we all need to understand that you, you form a company uh, to do things that no individual can do alone. You, know, you can be an accountant by yourself. You can be a lawyer by yourself. You can't be a golf genius by yourself. There's no one or any software company or any of the other companies that golf operators deal with or a golf course, right? You need, you need to bring, the, bring together people with different skills, uh, get them all heading in the right direction, get the hell out of their way and wonderful things will happen. That, that's what really as an entrepreneur gets me up every day is understanding that we've got 64 golf professionals in our company who are doing a fantastic job. They're very passionate about what they do. 
you know, and, and our job is a sort of, as I, I, an analogy I use, it's, it's, like, it's like a uh, tug of war with a rope. If people are on opposite sides of the rope and they're killing themselves, but they're pulling, it, pulling in opposite directions, the rope doesn't move. If you get everyone on the same side of the rope, uh, the rope's really gonna move. You just have to make sure you're not you know, headed off a cliff. I did have a very strong work ethic from very early on in my life. You mentioned I, I went off to MIT. After I finished my PhD, I went off to MIT as a faculty member and realized very, very quickly, this isn't for me. Academics is not for me. Um, I always remind, I always joke around of the old line, those who can do and those who can't teach. That's, that's a little cynical and I don't really mean it that way, but I realized very early on, I, I, wanna go, I wanted to go out and create something and uh, you know, left in 79 and, and have been an entrepreneur ever since and loved every moment of it. Well, this has been a great conversation so far, Mike. I'd like to end it with just, you gave some great advice throughout uh, the show so far, but my company, obviously, Golfback, we've got 63 clubs and, and your company has 10,000 clubs. And I think garnering any advice from you about for any startup, our company or any startup, what are the couple of keys that you would focus on as far as advice for any you know, new startup company that has you know, an idea yeah. that might be filling a need, but you know, hasn't built out yeah. uh, that network yet? Yeah. So I would say a couple of things, and I'm sure you've heard all these things before. Number one, and I'm sort of maniacal about this is do the right thing for the customer. Do the right thing for the customer. Serve the customer. Don't, don't try to nickel and dime the customer. You know, when COVID hit, we literally issued a, a 15% credit moment to every one of our customers. It was a big number. It was a big number. But I felt it was the right thing to do. These courses are closed. Don't making any money. How can we be charging them for software that they can't use? So to me, it was obvious hey, you got to go, you got to go help these people. Uh, and I thought every company would do it. I, I'm not aware of any other company that did it. Not to criticize them, it's just my view was, hey, we'll take the short-term hit, right? And move on. The second thing I would, so it's put the company, put the customer first, always put the customer first. And second is what, where I see young companies get into trouble is they chase too many things. They try to do too many things at once and get pulled by their customers in, in, in too many different directions as opposed to staying focused. And my first company, I, I had a, a guy who ran our business in the UK, still in touch with him. Uh, had a, he, he used to say, he said, Mike, we need to be customer driven, but not driven by our customers. And by that, he meant we can't chase every little feature that every customer wants and pretend that that's a common need. So you really have to you know, be very diligent in, in saying what you don't do. And the last thing I would say in the software business, the playing out of money with golf courses is I tell, in, in, in our case, I say to our, our people, I say, look, every time we add a feature, a feature everybody wants, every time we add a feature, we make the product more complex. There's yet another thing to look at and say, well, what does that mean? Does that apply to me? And therefore, you have to constantly be working at making the product easier to use. So we have, we have a, a development team that focuses on nothing but ease of use. They, they're just you know, constantly going at what are customers confused about, what we can do to make it easier. Because without that, you, you end up, you know, I'm sure you've heard the term bloat war. You end up with these very large products that, that they become hard to absorb. And so I would say you know, focusing on, on ease of learning and ease of use in software is very important. Being very focused don't try to do too many things. 
And if there's one thing I would say to anyone, it's put the customer first. Mike, you were literally responsible for people booking hundreds of millions of rounds of golf. We greatly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. It's been enlightening and we cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be with you folks. Thank you. Keep up the good work, Mike. Thanks. Thank you. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Exposed podcast. John, you are the CEO. You are the president of Brown Golf Management and Golf Back. We know the accolades, but we want to get right down and dirty down to business today because the internet has been set ablaze. I'm talking Kim Kardashian, Kanye level of scandal. You ain't got the answers. Bro, I'm asking you you ain't question. been doing the education. Absolutely crazy goings on in the world, especially when it comes to LinkedIn. Now, John, you came across a post that caught your attention. I think you were actually tagged in this post. There was a young man by the name of Casey Bork who was egregiously treated. It's egregious and disgusting, to be quite honest with you. We need to delve into this. We need to talk about it. It's right in line with your way of thinking, your articles, your philosophy, and what we talk about on this show. And I'm going to let you... All, first and foremost, I stumbled across this, and I screenshot it. I said, I can't wait to talk to John about this, but you had already responded. So what about this particular LinkedIn post that Casey put out there, what caught your attention? Well, first and foremost, Casey Bork is a golf consumer today on the podcast. He's going to be speaking from an online golf consumer who purchased some tee times through an aggregate platform and had a customer experience that he'd like to share. And obviously, everybody knows that I've been fairly vocal about my thoughts as it relates to the online tee time world in golf. Casey knew that as well. And uh, he actually tagged me in on a LinkedIn post he put up, which really created Great conversation back and forth between the two of us, both from a consumer experience and from a golf course owner's experience. And I'm really looking forward to talking to Casey today. Casey and I actually know each other from 20 to 25 years ago. When I was a teenager, you know, I worked at one club in outside services. Casey was an assistant golf professional. The next club I worked at, a secondary club, Casey was also an assistant and teaching professional. And I was working in the shop at that point. He used to take me out on the golf course. He would never give me any shots and he would drum me. I am not a role model. I'm not paid to be a role model. Day after day. So he's a great golfer, uh, played, actually qualified and played in the 2004 U.S. Open. He's, uh, he's one of Maine's finest golf talents, and uh, we're excited to have him on. But he's been working the sales and marketing field for the past, I don't know, what's it been, 15 or 20 years, Casey? And, and so now, yeah. he's, now yeah. he's a golf consumer. So how are you, Casey? Yeah, good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, appreciate the chance to chat. We're really looking forward to it. So today you're just a golf consumer. You've been spending – you've been at you, – you have some background in golf – uh, but you've spent the last, you know, 20 years or so working professionally outside of golf. And you needed to book a tee time for a couple of clients, correct? Yeah. Had a, a client of ours uh, coming. I'm down in Orlando, uh, coming into town for a convention for the week. And whenever we get together, we, we go play some golf. So I was just exploring some opportunities to, to find some places to, to tee it up here in, on the south side of Orlando. Yeah, and um, that's where it all began. That's where it all began. So tell us just a little bit about what transpired. You decided you needed to buy a tea time in the Orlando market. How did you go about searching for options in that marketplace? You, you know, normally, can I mention the 
the websites themselves? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, say my name. Yeah, so normally I'm not using the golf nows and teeoffs.coms to do this, but right now the prices are so high and it's in season and it's tough to find things. And, and we were looking for a, a nice golf experience, not necessarily the cheapest golf experience. So I wanted to sort of vet, you know, what opportunities were available down in that area. So I, I went on to teeoff.com, found ourselves a time and, and, and I will preface all this. A, a part of this is on me, right? There's some fine print in there that I didn't, dig into, but the gist is I booked a tea time about three weeks in advance. So well in advance, prepaid about $350 for, for our round. And about a week out, two of the guys needed to, needed to bail for per, personal reasons. And um, so I went back to tea off and canceled my tea time. If you go through the booking process, uh, there is some fine print looking back at it now in detail, I'm sort of kicking myself. But at the time, there's some some real headlines that look at you right in the face, worry-free tea times, things happen, change without penalty. That's really all I need to see. So I booked the time and, and later canceled the time uh, until I realized that no money had been returned to my credit card. So that's when I called the company to, to look for some, some explanations and hopefully some recourse. And Obviously, for those that don't know, Golf Now purchased teeoff.com in December of 2019. So when you're speaking to folks from teeoff.com, you're really speaking to Golf Now. Oh my God, you mean that's the same guy? You didn't read some of the fine print, but you saw some, let's call it marketing uh, language potentially that you thought maybe pointed you in a direction that you had some flexibility if your plans changed. Yeah, plans changed, completely honest. Um Hey, we, we just didn't have players. Um, so I figured it made some sense. I, I canceled the booking four days ahead of our day. Uh, I'm certain they were able to resell that time. Um, yet um, no money was returned to my credit card. And when I called them, what they said to me was they were issuing a series of promo codes. So 12 promo codes. There's a big long list in the email that I had gotten, each of which worth $20, which adds up to $240. I spent $350. So a, a net $110 loss there for reasons unknown. But those 12 promo codes could be used under very, very strict stipulations. Um, they had to be used for deal times Monday through Thursday. Um, after 12 o'clock and they had to be used individually. So if I booked a foursome, I could only use one of those $20 codes for a guy that is now playing some playing golf, maybe once every two weeks, max or so these things all expired a year out. I'd have a hard time using that to be honest. And uh, I would also have to inject a lot more money to to, to lean on, to, to leverage those $20 gift cards, you know, pretty lousy outcome in my mind. That's terrible. And uh, after my first phone call to them, that was the outcome. That was the takeaway. This is all we can do for you. And, uh, and that's when I went back and said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to post this in my frustration. And uh, I made my LinkedIn post and 
and tag John on it because I, I know that John, you've been doing stuff in this space and making these kinds of situations known. And I'd love to, you know, if I can help some other golfers out there that are playing golf, help them to understand that, you know, there is a lot of fine print. They're not really that interested in making you happy or come away whole. Oh my God. I don't care. I do not. I, I don't care. And uh, if I can help somebody avoid the situation that I ran into, I'd find tremendous value in having a conversation like this. Well, you dropped the proverbial mic on LinkedIn and John picked it right back up as we knew he would. John, as a golf course owner, when you hear of something like this happening, how would you feel knowing that someone walked away from one of your courses with this experience? Well, the experience from a consumer perspective is appalling. I mean, you spend a, a certain number of dollars. You've got language that is pointing you in a direction that you're going to have flexibility. Ultimately, you cancel with plenty of notice and you receive a fractional refund uh, that needs to be used over 12 different times. And obviously, that's not going to make any consumer happy. And most of the times, uh, consumers that book tee times on these aggregate platforms are going to associate you know, that experience with the course they booked the tee time with. Now, I think Casey is well-versed enough in golf to understand that he was dealing with golf now, but there is definitely a complex there that consumers are going to feel about you know, the tee time they booked, the interaction they had, and the value they were receiving. However, I will say from a golf course owner's perspective, this is just an absolutely – the strategic plan from Golf Now is to take an opportunity of a customer who's canceled a tee time and have them rebook up to 12 additional times in the future through an aggregate platform where tee times and revenues are going to the aggregate site like a GolfNow or TeeOff.com, and they're being taken away from the marketplace and golf course owners. I think it's very strategic, and these are the types of things that we continue to try to communicate to golf course owners, and and it's just so detrimental to our niche industry. Imagine this happening over and over and over again. Every time somebody has a canceled tee time, you know this is their strategic way to try to get them to book more of the prepaid or traded tee times on their aggregate platform. It's very detrimental to our marketplace. It was very clear that they had sort of, if not scripted responses, but you know, limitations for sure. And what the very limited ability to, to make situate the situation, right. And that, that was extremely frustrating, you know, having a background in golf, I did not think of just how meaningful that 12 promo code situation was for the golf courses themselves. I, I, I didn't think of that angle. And when John mentioned that to me in some back channel conversations that we had, I was even more fired up because normally I book directly through clubs. I'll just call them directly. But now if I have to book those 12 times, what they're doing is diverting those dollars that I would have spent directly with clubs. And that's going straight to golf now and not to any country clubs for a very long time. For, for me, probably the, the foreseeable future of the next year or so to, to use those codes. So that was really, really frustrating. All of it is very frustrating. I mean, with a tactic like that, they're probably hoping everybody cancels. Locking somebody in for, like you said, a year to come, potentially. It it seems like a, a big upside potential for them to turn that situation into something where now their customer is locked in. You're held captive. That's the only way you re recoup any of those dollars is to continue spending in that way on those deal times.
Did you eventually get around to reading whether it's the terms of service or the, the fine print or whatever you may? I know they use the big buzzwords to catch your attention, which don't really give you any detail. But did you actually get around to reading the fine print? And once you read it, what did it actually say? I, of course, did go back. Um, you know, uh, in in the the email confirmations, it did mention make mention about cancellation policy. It was a little bit different. I did I did go back and get right to the one yard line of booking another tea time so that I could see the language that that I would have been confronted with. The, the headline says worry free tea times. The first line talks about it says I'll read it to you. Life happens. But with tee offs, worry free tee times, golf pass members can change or cancel their res- res- reservation online up to one hour before tee time for any reason without penalty. No joke. And to be honest, that's what I looked at and I was moving hastily. That's all I needed to know. Like, you know, worry free tee times. I can book up to one hour. I can cancel up to one hour. Cool. Let's let's go. Shame on me for not reading all that. All that fine print. Maybe maybe they meant you definitely won't think this is funny. yeah true but you know the 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 term and i did miss golf pass plus members so that's some some sort of a paid subscription i believe that gives you that right i didn't catch that and um again shame on me part of the blame is on me but i know that other people are are running into the same situation and i'd love to others not make the same mistake so let's rewind back because I think we can all agree that from a consumer experience, this is there's nothing positive to this interaction. But let's talk about when you were first looking for tea time options, okay? So you're in a marketplace, and the argument I hear from golf course owners who are afraid to leave a network like GolfNow or TeeOff.com is that customers won't find my tea times. You obviously went to an aggregate platform uh, because you knew there could be some pricing advantages of doing that. Were you looking for a certain type of golf course, a certain type of experience? What was the main driver for driving you to that aggregate site? Um, yeah, really good question. I am familiar with the area. So we had a, a general idea of at least the nature of club that we wanted to play. We were looking for sort of a mid-level, call it even a little bit upper tier experience because it's a client of ours. Everything's competitive here. It's in season right now. I wasn't sure what was available. So I went to teeoff.com for a couple of reasons. I wanted to see a map of what was down there and where in that part of town. I want to get a picture of how their prices were. And normally I'll do that and then garner that information. And then I'll make a phone call to a facility directly once I pick out a club that I would think would be the the winner. So it, it served as a, the, the map functionality was important for me to be able to view, you know, drive times, how far away things are, relative price comparison. And it just happened, I happened to pull the trigger because it was a path of least resistance. Normally I don't, but we were booking a couple of days and I just, I just wanted to get it done, get it booked and, and move on with the rest of my day. So as a, a customer that knows the marketplace, knows the options in the market, which is in my world, 90% of golfers know the options in a market. If you saw a club that was you were interested in was not listed on golf now or tf.com, would you 
and you can be honest about this, would you have gone and looked for inventory for that golf course, either via calling a course that may not be listed on golf now or tof.com or searching for their golf course website and the tee time options on their website? Uh, a thousand, thousand percent. Yeah. When we play golf, I play with some guys and, and when we play golf, we have a group of four or five clubs in mind and we know, you know, whenever we're going to play, there's a couple of them that aren't on golf now. We might take a peek on golf now or tee off and the others may not be on there. So we will sort of cross-reference what we see on golf now versus what we might see on their website or what we know, what we come to know their rate structures and, and uh, we'll at least be able to price shop that. And, and if the one that's not on golf now is the best value, we're going to, we're going to call them for sure. Well, this is just one experience. I know these types of experience happen on these aggregate platforms thousands of times over and in hundreds of different channels of activity. And you experienced it, Casey. So the next time you book a tee time, where are you headed? Right to golf now? <laughs> He's got promo codes to yeah. use. <laughs> yeah, I got to I gotta crank out those promo codes. No, the answer is uh, I, I'm going to avoid it as at all costs, if I can, not being able to talk with a human being that's here local at a facility was a big deal. Nobody could resolve the issue. Nobody wanted to resolve the issue. Moving forward, I'm going to try to avoid that for sure. The culmination of this whole thing, I did, I was persistent. I called Tioff back and they, they did improve the situation a little bit by giving me some credit on my account, but it still has to be used for deal times. And um, there's still a ton of stipulations. So it's definitely not a win. <laughs> uh, whereas a, you know, a golf course operator could, could do things to make it right, for sure. With every additional step that you, the consumer, has to take, whether it be make the initial call, call back, respond, go back and rebook using the promo code, with every single step, there's a better and better chance that you're just gonna you know abandon ship and give up. So we understand that your experience was terrible. If someone is going to book, why, why should people who aren't going to cancel, why should they care about this? We understand why the course owner and operator should care, but why do you think the general consumer should care? Kind of a question to both of you. Well, the, the consumer should care because when someone books a tea time, they're not planning on canceling it, but stuff happens, right? So yeah. life happens life according to golf now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Life happens. And so, you know, you're going to run into situations where flexibility is required. I hate fine print. I hate misleading. I hate the tactics of the promo code. I hate the dollars that are being positioned to promote and drive revenues for aggregate platforms and not for golf course owners themselves. And uh, I just think the strategy is very telling. That's that's my opinion. Any thoughts there, Casey? Yeah. Orlando's a big place. It's a it's a big market, but a lot of people are not in big markets. And this the the fact that buying deal times means that money is going to a corporation that is nowhere near your local market is is very meaningful versus dollars that are going directly to the club that is in your town and in your community and, you know, supporting the staff that's there and, and jobs and all that, all that ecosystem. The fact that those dollars are leaving the ecosystem is meaningful. And to me, it's, it's highly misleading that they present those things side by side as if the money is going to the golf course. It's all quite lousy. I'm, I'm definitely sour on the whole thing more so than I was 24 hours ago, for sure. 
Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. Support your local market, your local golf market. You know, book direct, and obviously from a consumer perspective, Casey, you've you had a very negative uh, experience, and it kind of opened your eyes up to what this juggernaut looks like. And uh, we're going to continue to do what we do at Golfback and try to help golf course owners, you know, offer great deals and direct channels so consumers can get great deals and then have someone to call when there's an issue. So appreciate your time today. Right on. Thanks, guys. I, I wish you absolute, absolutely the best of luck in that endeavor. I, I hope you guys are very successful in that.